But we're going to pick up First Timothy chapter 5. This is our fifth lesson from First uh, Timothy. And this deals primarily with widows, but also really deals, the whole theme of the chapter really is dealing with how you treat one another. Not just widows, but also deals with how you treat uh, elders, and some describe that to elders as in the eldership. Uh, some describe that to more of just the older members, which I really seems to be more ways talking about. Uh, but really, we can apply that to, to chapter 5. It's just telling us how we should treat one another and also how we should treat uh, our own family members as well. So as you look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 this morning, I want to show what we can learn from the teaching of Paul concerning widows and honor and also really just respect for one another. The Apostle Paul in chapter 5 offers a lot of teaching. Some say he also offers some sound advice. I really don't like the idea that he just offers advice. I think he's offering sound teaching and encouraging one another to hold up uh, sound biblical principles. The Christian would benefit greatly by listening to the words of Paul as we find them in 1 Timothy chapter 5. We begin by looking at <clears throat> verses 1 and 2, looking at the treatment of widows. And if you look at chapter 5, <clears throat> verses, <clears throat> chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we find here the words uh, concerning exhorting one another. Looking at verses 1 and 2, he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. Now these verses are addressing people of all ages, right? You have the younger, you have the older, you have women who are younger and older. And the idea we find here is that we are to treat one another with respect. While the King James uses elder in, here in verses 1 and 2, the exhortation in verse 1 is not concerning leaders, but older men in the congregation. Any rebuking or correction should be done with love, and this applies to members of all ages, male or female, if you find there in verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man. I think about that idea, the idea is don't be harsh to one another. Rebuking, yes, you call someone out on their sin, but we don't have to be unruly about it. I've heard people talk to others about concerns they've had, and I've seen it both ways. I haven't been in a lot of places for a lot of time, but I think about some things I've seen over the years at various places, and sometimes you see rebuking done with love and concern, and sometimes you just see meanness. And verses 1 and 2 is not talking about that. He says, exhort him as a father. That is, you lift that person up. You exhort them to do what is right and good in the sight of God, and to treat one another with respect and with honor. And just as we might say today, the golden rule, to treat one another as we would like to be treated. All age groups, male and female, we find here in verses 1 and 2, are to be treated with respect. That doesn't mean we ignore the sins of individuals, but we make sure we take care of it in a loving and Christian way. And we find in verses 3 and through about verse 16, we find where Paul begins to deal with widows. <clears throat> and in most cases, and a lot of headings in our Bibles talk about the, the idea of real widows, and that really seems to be fitting. Because widows, we know a widow is someone who has lost their spouse, right? We understand that. It's not difficult to figure out. 
But the concept the Apostle Paul points out here is that a real widow is not just someone who has lost their spouse, but someone who is truly alone. Someone who has no family who will take care of them, who will provide for them, and give them what they need to make sure that they are well taken care of. Now think of some who have done a very good job with their widows, with their family, who have cared for them very, very deeply. And we know some very good examples of that. But it's also, we can think about sometimes, I've seen some very, very poor examples of that. And it's very heartbreaking to think about those who show so little concern for their loved ones. We look at 1 Timothy 5, looking at verse 3, it says, Honor widows who are really widows. <clears throat> now you think about that, could someone read that and be offended? Absolutely. Well, <laughs> a widow is someone who just lost their spouse. But the Apostle Paul, as we find here in verse 3, and following, really goes on to talk about, explain that further. People who are truly alone. Really the idea of being someone who is truly helpless in this need of someone helping them. Honor widows who are, he says here, really widows. Widows that are really in need. And we find in the following verses a list of qualifications, so to speak, that support what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And this involves respectful treatment and even also support that would include financial support where needed as well. We look here in verse 4 and following Looking at what I call here qualified widows. Now, when you read through this, some might say, well, boy, the Apostle Paul sounds just heartless. He has to meet all these qualifications. But he explains why he, he's saying all this as we go here. Because we can't jump to conclusions or read chapter verse 3 and say, well, Paul's so you know, anti-family or he's just sexist. We, if, you don't, if you read just that one verse, you can make all kinds of assumptions. But when we follow through and read the entire context, we see why... Paul is saying what he does. Look with me now at verse 4. He says, If any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable for God. That is a very big verse. A lot of people have no idea, have never heard that before, never applied it. Because what it's talking about is taking care of family members. That word piety there in verse 4 is the idea that you show respect for one another. The first, you might say, the natural obligation we need to learn is to practice respect and piety in helping our families before calling upon others. And here we're talking specifically about widows. This isn't giving qualifications for benevolence. He's talking about widows specifically. An ongoing care for one another. He says there in verse 4, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, why would he bring them up? Because they are the ones who should be looking out for their widow loved one. That's why he brings that up. Not just children, but he says grandchildren, which means the responsibility falls upon us when our older members in our family begin to be in need that we step up and we help them. And let's be honest, it doesn't have to just be the older, does it? We want to be those who show love for our family. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about, 1 Timothy 5. Yes, he's talking about widows specifically, but aren't we to help out our family all the time anyway, those who are in need? <laughs> I remember one Sunday afternoon, I was, or evening, I was lying in bed, and I heard this noise outside. I went, what is that? Well, it was Chris and Brinson outside mowing the yard. That may sound like a trivial thing, 
But it's one less thing to worry about, isn't it? When I get up, finally one time walk to the fridge and there's food in there that I had no idea was in there, who it was from. That's an encouraging thing, isn't it? And we find here in 1 Timothy 5, that's the same idea we find here, is this caring for one another. Whether we think it's a large act or a small act, the Apostle Paul doesn't mention the level of kindness. He just mentions kindness and care, doesn't he? He says there in verse 4, Let them first learn piety at home and to repay their parents, to learn respect at home. And notice that phrase, to repay their parents. I've heard people scoff at that. My parents never did anything for me. I've heard that before. So if they didn't do anything for you, you wouldn't be here. Because if they never did anything for you, you would have starved to death. We never had any clothes. Well, that's not what I mean. That's why we have to make sure our children understand the idea of respect and repayment as we find here in verse 4. Because in all reality, we shouldn't look at it as repayment, should we? We should look at it as being loving towards one another. Look at James chapter 1, verse 27. We'll come, uh, James 1, verse 27. We'll come back here to verse 4 in a second. He says here, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. If you visit orphans, that is those who have no parents, right? Either they are left or they have passed on. And widows in their trouble. And we know to keep oneself unspotted from the world. But what does he mention first? Taking care of those who are in need. Is it exclusively to orphans and widows? No, but he points out there to make sure we understand we help those who might say, we might say cannot help themselves. Orphans, how much can they do for themselves? Especially the very young, not very much, right? Widows, as the Apostle Paul is putting out here, real widows. Are they going to need help? Yes. And we should be glad to do so. In whatever capacity and area in which we can do so. And so he says here in verse 4, who pay their parents, and this, notice this, for this is good and acceptable before God. I know this may be old-fashioned, but I remember growing up, my father always told, told, told us and always made it sure it was very clear that the boys mowed the yard. Okay. That's just what you did. Now we understand today some ladies like to go outside and mow their yard for exercise or sun, whatever. That's just fine. I don't understand that. But every time I see a, a lady outside mowing the yard, there's always a part of me thinking, is she doing that for exercise or is she doing that because someone is way too lazy? See, we have to make sure that we do things that are good and acceptable to God. That we do our part. That's really what I think about when I see those things. Is someone doing their part or is someone just wanting to get some sun? Because sometimes we realize today there are some who are not doing their part. And we find here in verse 4, why is the Apostle Paul saying all these things? Because obviously it was a problem. They were not taking care of their own. We continue on here, looking at verse 4. He says here this idea of piety includes love, duty, and kindness. You teach your children the duty they have to their parents, the things they should be doing. So we find here in verse 4, who's, who are the first ones who are charged with taking care of those who are in need? Here specifically the widows, the family, children and grandchildren. 
Looking now with me, we will, at verse 8. Jumping ahead a little, a little bit here. Notice this. Now, there's, there's a reason I jumped up here, because when we look at verse 4, people begin to kind of make excuses, but verse 8 really knocks that out of the park, doesn't it? But if anyone does not provide for his own, here in context would include specifically widows. But really the idea in context is provide for his family, even those who are in need. He says is, or, is what? Who does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household or those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than unbeliever. An unbeliever has what waiting for them? Eternal damnation. And so for the apostle Paul to say you are worse than someone who has denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever, that is a huge wake-up call, isn't it? That we should love our families. And we should look out for one another. Looking back now at verses 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul describes a godly or a real widow. He says, now she who is really a widow, I know this, and left alone. That's a very sad thing, isn't it? And it happens many times, right? For various reasons where the widow has had their children passed on. Their grandchildren are, are, are passed on. Others who should be able to help them are not able to do so. They are left alone. But he says much more than just that, doesn't he? Trust in God. That's faithfulness, isn't it? A faithful widow. And continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. What is he describing in verse 4? A faithful widow, a person who's really a widow who is faithful and remains faithful. Not someone who just has her picture on the wall somewhere, right? Not someone who attended here or attended someplace once in their life. But someone who is a continual, faithful servant of God. Because he says there in verse 5, trusting God, and notice what, and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. That's not the act of an unbeliever or an unfaithful person. That's the act of a faithful person, isn't it? Then notice verse 6, he compares the opposite here. So he describes a godly widow, true widows who are worthy of, of, of support, the same as not to those who have turned to sin. She who lives in pleasure, talking about a widow who is not a faithful person of God, right? The opposite of being someone who trusts in God. The opposite of someone who continues in supplications and prayers night and day in verse 5. The, the other here in verse 6 is the complete opposite. And obviously here in verse 6, that person described here is not worthy of the support of the congregation, are they? We never support those who are unfaithful. Why would it change if they're a widow? It doesn't. Because we would only be helping them continue to live on their sinful lifestyle. Look at verse 7 with me now. We see that godliness among all, including widows, is commanded in verse 7. And these things commanded, they may be blameless. Specifically, again, who's he talking about? Widows. But does it apply to us today? Yeah, we want to be blameless. We want to be those who say, you know what? That's a person who wants to be faithful to God. Each and every day you can look at them saying they are trying to be faithful to God. Serving Him loyally. That's who we want to be. In verses 9 through 15 here, we find some commands and qualifications concerning widows. It's interesting that when it comes to so many areas that Paul qualifies things. Elders, 
Well, I won't be an elder. Oh, hang on a second. The Apostle Paul gives some qualifications. I want to be a deacon. The Apostle Paul gives qualifications. I want to be supported by the church as a widow. The Apostle Paul gives qualifications. Look at verse 9. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into, into the number, and nonetheless she has been the, the wife of one man. So we find in verse 9, what is it? It can't be anyone under 60, and she has to have been loyal to her husband. That means while he was alive, obviously, right? Loyal to her husband. And so there's the first qualification. No one under the age of 60. Why would he say that? Well, he's going to qualify that in a moment, isn't he? He says, well reported for good works. That's what talking about. The people recognize that that is a faithful person. Again, what we also saw back in verse 5. The well reported for good works. She has brought up children. The Greek is the idea that if she has at least had a child. If she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. Verse 9 and 10 there is just talking about, verse 10 specifically, it's talking about has she been a faithful servant of God in more than just words? Has that person been a servant of God and done all they could to faithfully serve the Lord, to help others as well? We find in verse 10 the idea of helping others, right? Lodging strangers, that's helping others. Washing their feet, which was a custom in the, in the Bible times, the Old Testament times, in the times of the apostles. Again, serving others. As she relieved the afflicted, again, helping others. If she has diligently followed every good work, because he gives us examples of those good works there in verse 10. Why does he say all these things? Because who the church puts their support behind or helps shows that we are in favor and okay with their actions, right? Every single time. We're talking about a widow or a work in general. If they are faithful and loyal, we want to get behind it. But if they are not, we can be seen as someone or as a group of people who are okay with certain ways of living. And that's what we want to avoid. Looking now with me at verse 11. He says, They refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their, their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. And what the Apostle Paul is talking about here is these widows. They're not really widows because they're pretty young. They're not alone. They still are very much able to remarry. Now that someone over 60 can't do the same thing. But here we find here in verse 11 through 13 that Paul shows how some young widows lose their focus and may stray from the faith in various ways and for various reasons. Because if you took in a young widow and she is provided for by the church, let's just put this in a situation, she doesn't need to worry about anything else. That gives her a whole lot of free time to do things that she ought not, right? That's verses 11 through 13. So that's why he gives that stipulation about younger widows, as we're going to find here in a moment. He encourages them to what? To marry. Which also tells us if your spouse passes on, it's perfectly fine to marry someone else, right? Still being the, the person who is married to one uh, to one man at a time, still being no doubt very, obviously very biblical. Looking at verse 14, we find the Apostle Paul again qualifies this by saying, Therefore, I desire that younger widows marry, bear children, 
manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside from Satan. He's saying if you have all this free time, well, the worst thing we, that can happen for a lot of people is free time. You can err from the faith. And for that reason, he says, I desire that the younger widows marry. Bear children, manage the house. Those are all things which, which would originally be a part of that widow's initial attention, right? When she had married the first time, right? And so we find the, the, the ideas mentioned here in verse 14 are anything different that should have been part of the life when her husband was still alive. So he says in verse 14, He desires the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house. The idea is doing what? To do the things a wife is, as the Bible says here, does, right? And I'm sure that's very offensive to the world today, but that's what the Apostle Paul says. Marry, have children, take care of the home. It doesn't say take care of only the home. It doesn't say stay at home. He says manage the home. Bear children. It doesn't say you have six, seven children. He says bear children. The idea being the acts and the normal things that go along with a marriage bond. Looking at verse 15, he says for some, here's another reason why, he says for some have already turned aside after Satan. Some have what? They have already departed from the faith because those young widows, they're not doing what they should be doing. They're, they're losing their focus and they're erring from the faith. And he says, that's why he says there also previously that we are not to take any widow, as he points out there, who is under the age of 60. Looking at verse 16, he says here, we, as we point out here, the church should not be burdened. That's why the Apostle Paul says these things. Look at verse 16. If any believing man or Roman has widows, let them relieve them. And do not let the church be burdened that it may re relieve those who are really widows. What you find here in verse 16 is if a widow is able to be cared for by someone other than the church, then we should allow that to take place, right? That way the church, who is now not having to care for that widow, is able to help who? Verse 16. That it may relieve those who are really widows. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If we have loved ones who can take care of us as widows, then that's what should take place. And we found here in verse 16. So that, he says in verse 16, that the church, uh, that, and do not let the church be burdened. That it doesn't mean that we cringe because we help widows. The idea is because when someone is able to help a widow, that means the church can help someone else. And we are not going to be burdened by that. And so verses here, really verses 1 through 16, deals with treatment of others and the treatment of widows. But we can narrow this down simply saying that we should treat one another with respect, care for one another, and not do things that allow the church to be, cause the church to be burdened because of our inactions. Next, as we look at verses 17 and following, we have elders who are worthy. Uh, worthy of honor, looking at verses 17 and 18. He says here, Let the elders who rule be well counted worthy of, who, who rule well, be counted worthy of double honor. Notice there he says, elders who rule. Now he's talking about elderships. Previously, we think about, er, earlier he just says, he talks about verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, do not rebuke an older man, or as the King James says, an elder. He's talking about people of older age. But here we find those who rule, who rule well, with reference to, it would seem, elderships. 
to be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. Isn't it interesting he mentions double honor then mentions word and doctrine? Elders who, who labor faithfully in preaching and teaching are worthy of honor from God and from us. They are worthy to be respected. And because they are faithful in word and doctrine, they should be those who we honor and follow their guidance, right? This obviously applies to those who do so with sound teaching from God's word. Elders who, do, who are not laboring in the word and, and doctrine and truth are not worthy of honor. They are worthy to be stepped down from their place as an elder. Elders are those who follow the word of God and do so in spirit and truth and do so without uh, feeling like they are a burden, but do so because they love the Lord. Those who labor in the word and doctrine there in verse 17. Verse 18 says, For the scripture says you should not muzzle an ox while it treads out the gain, or the grain rather, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. We find there in verse 18, a really a reply to what he says in verse 17. The elder who rules well, he labors in word and doctrine, do what? Verse 18, don't hinder them. That's what he's talking about. Because do you hinder an ox if you muzzle them? Yes. Do you hinder the laborer if you do not pay them the wages that's due to them? Yes. Should we do things that would hinder the truth being taught, the the truth being preached? No. Because we find here if we do so, we are no doubt in the wrong. We are in sin if we hinder the truth of God's words going out. We find also, as we look at verse 19, he says here, the elders are worthy of fairness. He says, not receiving accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Now, in reality, shouldn't every person be treated that way? Absolutely. Matthew chapter 18 talks about the same idea, doesn't it? But see, sometimes it comes to leaders, we like to try to treat them more harshly. Now, we understand that the Bible tells us that teachers are going to receive a stricter condemnation. Therefore, we have to make very, be very careful, very cautious about what we teach and preach. Does that mean they are not to be treated with fairness? Well, they should be. Look at verse 19. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. If there was an accusation against me, I'd want to have more than one person saying it. I want to hear one person saying, another person confirming it, another person confirming it, right? Because that's fairness, isn't it? Think about this. Isn't that what you would want? If someone says something about you, why don't you want more than one person trying to slander you? If they're trying to say something against you, let them, you'll tell them, or bring up someone else and you can say the same thing and confirm it. And if you can't, then we have a much different problem, don't we? We look at verse 19. He says here the idea is very clear that we do what? We treat you with fairness. Here specifically with being elders as well. <clears throat> this teaching is one of old that is still to be held to today. We go back to Deuteronomy chapter 19, looking at verse 15. He says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. I Means just one person saying it, that's not enough. Because sometimes people just like to run their mouth, don't they? They get upset about something and they like to say things that are not true and they really don't care. Verse 15 here, what does he say? Shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. But, <clears throat> just give me verse 15, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. And notice there, witnesses. 
not hearsayers, not those who are just accomplices in their, you might say their gossip, but witnesses. I saw it, I saw it, I saw it. That's what he's talking about there in verse 15. To treat one another with fairness. Looking at verse 20 of 1 Timothy chapter 5, we find that public sin, again, the Apostle Paul kind of does what we call sometimes a shotgun blast because he hits a lot of topics in chapter 5. Look at verse 20 and following. He says, Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest may also may fear. Why would he talk about rebuking people in the presence of all? Right after talking about elders, and making sure that they have several witnesses against them if there was an accusation. Because those who bring accusations, false accusations, unproven accusations before them, before the church, falsely, is that public sin? To falsely accuse someone in hopes of condemning them and causing them grief? Yes. And in verse 20, what does he say? Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. The others may say, you know what, I'm not going <laughs> to say anything against that person unfairly because it's wrong. And because I don't want to stand up and admit my sin in front of everybody else either, right? And others say, look at what that person has done. That's the idea there, may fear. The idea that we make sure that we treat one another with fairness and with compassion. Looking at verse 21, he says, I charge you before God in the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing to partiality. I mean, we don't apply it here, but we ignore it here. You know, he says you apply it all across the board. Verse 21, right? Everyone gets treated the same. Age doesn't matter. Sex doesn't matter. Length of membership does not matter. Sin is sin, and the price is the same for everybody, right? The wages of sin for everyone is death. The gift of God for everyone is eternal life, based upon our obedience to the gospel. We must be fair all across the board, as we find in verse 21. Verse 22, it says, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in, another, in, another, in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure, verse 22. What does it mean to not lay hands on anyone hastily? It goes back to what he's talking about back in verse 19, right? Don't go attacking people too quickly. Don't go accusing people too quickly. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily. And he says, nor share in other people's sins. What does that mean? You don't just join in fellowship with anybody and everybody, right? I've heard people say, and this is not original with me, because I've heard Chuck say it and other people say it as well, is that we hear people say sometimes, well, they'll hunt with anybody's dog. What does that mean? And don't get golden fellowship with anybody. Isn't verse 22 condemning that? When he says, nor share other people's sins. Well, if we are jumping into, someone's, into fellowship with someone too quickly, what can we find ourselves doing? In sin with them? In partaking of that? That's what he says in verse 22. Keep yourself pure. Sin brings blasphemy. Public sin brings blasphemy against the church. Think about this. David's sin was public in 2 Samuel 12, wasn't it? The sin, the sin of David and Bathsheba. Which is sad sometimes that we, when we think about David, sometimes we think about instruments or we think about Bathsheba. We, don't, we kind of forget about David and Goliath sometimes, don't we? We think about the negative. 
This is the same guy who killed the giant. The same guy who God referred to as a man from his own heart. God obviously loved him. He was faithful. He had problems just like any one of us. But he committed a public sin in 2 Samuel 12. We find that David's sin was public and that God's actions against him were also public. Looking at 2 Samuel 12, verses 13 and 14. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin, and you shall not die. Forgiveness, right? With all their consequences. Verse 14. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, which means everybody has seen this, David. They have seen what you have done, this public sin, right? The child also is born to you shall surely die. That is the consequence. And some people will look at that and say, well, that's an innocent child. You know, God can do all kinds of miracles. We don't know the extent. We know the child will die from sickness, right? That's all we know. God, we know also, is a God who does not cast the innocent into destruction. As you continue reading verse 14 and following, what does David say? After his child dies, he says, I sh- I, I will, uh, He shall not come to me, but I shall go to him. What is he talking about? That he would see that child again. Even though God took the child from him, David would see that child again. But the sin, the result of his public sin, was the child at that time had to be taken from him. He had to do that by death in verse 14. We must remember that public sin, just like any sin, is a very serious deal. We must remember today that public sin still requires public repentance. And we find next, as we get to the end here of chapter 5, some words of caution and, uh, and also some commands here in verses 24, 23 through 25. We're first going to look at verses 24 and 25, then we'll come back to verse 23. Verse 24, he says, Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Isn't it interesting he says that following what he, what he did in verse 22? How he says, don't lay hands on anyone hastily or join anyone's sins because of verse 24, sometimes you don't see people's sins until later. People can conceal their true heart, right? That's why he says some men's sins are clearly evident. You can see it. You, oh, I've got to stay away from that person. And sometimes you can know them, then you realize, wait a second, this isn't right. And that's what he's talking about there in verse 24. But he also says in verse 25, Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. Meaning those that are evident we see, but some people might say today fall very closely to the idea, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, back in Matthew chapter 6. I mean, we see good things being done, and we find out later, by happenstance perhaps, that this is the person who did that. This person did this good work. doesn't mean we run to them and embarrass them, but we can think, you know what? That was awfully nice of them. The Lord's going to bless them for those types of things. That's the things we need to think about as well. Our final verse is verse 23, where the Apostle Paul talks again to Timothy. He says in verse 23, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. It's interesting that this is in the midst of staying away from sin, and the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, here's something you can do for your frequent infirmities. There are several things we want to point out about verse 23. First of all, Paul knew about, Paul, knew about Timothy's stomach issue. 
Do you think other people knew about it? Yeah. If the Apostle Paul knew about it by writing to him, obviously someone had told him or informed him, look, Timothy, he's in a bad way. That means it took some degree of illness before the Apostle Paul told Timothy what to do and before Timothy also would listen, right? No longer drink only water tells us what he was drinking, only water, and it wasn't smart water. They had a very much difficult time having clear, clean water. That's where a lot of those stomach infirmities came from. But he says in verse 23, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake. We find the amount, we find the purpose, right? Every medicine has a prescribed amount. I learned that and reminded of that a lot in the last several weeks. We find in verse 23, what does he say? Use a little wine, and for what purpose? For your stomach's sake. Not to celebrate the baptism of a new person in Christ. Not for your meal, but he says, because you're sick in verse 23. For your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. It is a very poor choice to try to condone social drinking from any biblical verse in verse 20, or from any Bible verse. And verse 23 is no different. The Apostle Paul was simply trying to help out his fellow companion. Now as we close this morning, we want to think about some lessons for us. Families have obligations to one another. Families should be our first caregivers. And the church, as we have seen, can support widows. However, the Apostle Paul has shown us who is to receive such assistance. He is very careful about it, isn't he? And the reason is because we well know that some people like to abuse certain kindnesses of others, don't they? We know that all too well. We think about the various benefits that come in this world today. And we think about the, the repercussions of it. It's no secret that today that you can literally find a job anywhere. We know also the problem with that, don't we? We don't have to go into great detail. We understand what happens when you go too far helping people. But here we find, we find here, and we reminded in 1 Timothy 5, that families should care for one another. And yes, the church can support those who are really widows and those who are in need of such support. We also find if we look at this chapter, we should treat brethren fairly and with love. The Apostle Paul makes it clear <clears throat> that we are to love <clears throat> that we are to love one another. This includes not allowing one person with an accusation that is that is not true, that we do not allow them to slander others. We are not to allow others to come to harm. That means sometimes we need to step up and speak up for other people, don't we? We all probably put in that situation where someone has said something about someone else. Hopefully we take the opportunity, if it warrants it, to say, you know what, that's not true. You need to be quiet. Because there's nothing wrong with that. If we see things going on that are not right, we need to speak up about it. Let us be those who are willing to help one another and to show love for one another. If we do not treat one another with respect or if we try to take advantage of the church, then this will be seen by those who are on the outside as well. Do people see when others are taken advantage of? Do people see when people, when they see Christians not acting like Christians? Do other people see that today? Absolutely. 
And social media certainly made sure of that as well. So let us be those who make sure that when we look at how we treat one another, maybe we need to rethink some things. Maybe we need to think about how we treat one another and make sure that we follow the example we find here in 1 Timothy 5, that we look out for one another, that we care for one another, and that we treat one another fairly. This morning, if you have any needs or concerns, you can come forward now. That's going to be sending the song that's been selected. <laughs>